You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law Corporation, and with me, as usual, co-hostist with the mostest, Paul Doroshenko. Hello, Kyla Lee. How are you doing? I am doing okay. I kind of feel a little bit like my brain is melting. Like, Hmm. it's not being used, you know? Like, I'm not engaging with fascinating legal issues on the rig like I normally would. You know, well, you've, getting... been, you've, been, you've been working, though. Oh, I've been working, like... Non-stop. Like 10-hour days. Yeah. Seven days a week. You can't stop me from working. Me, too. I yeah. do, uh, basically, homeschooling until 2, and then I go into the office and work until midnight. Yeah. Well, I, I'm... Which I've enjoyed. Yeah, I'm sure you have. Because, I, I basically, I get it all this way. You get the best of both worlds. Yeah. Yeah, I get I get my dog bothering me, which is hard because when I'm filming videos, which is part of my work, um, I can only film for about fifteen minutes, and then he Before just Before Wrigley figures it out. Yeah, and then he just stands there barking at me because he wants a potato chip. Oh, he wants a potato chip if I'm filming a chip video. He wants attention if I'm filming like a law-related video, he'll come downstairs and, like, there's a divider door in my basement between the area where the laundry is and the area where I have my little studio, and he'll scratch at the door to be, like, let into the laundry area. Oh, not into the studio area. Just no, there's something. I'm in the studio area. He wants to go to the laundry area. There's nothing in the laundry area. Hmm. At least nothing he's never sm- smelled, sniffed, seen before. Yeah. Super annoying. Why don't you just leave the door open? Um, because I don't want him going in there because he goes around all the edges of the room and he's like tracking where mice have previously been. And you know how he gets like his yeah. crazy eyes and then he gets obsessed. He thinks and there's a mouse. Yeah. He thinks there's a mouse and there hasn't been a mouse there forever, but he can smell it and he gets terrier brain. Well, and he then still he has the it. idea. I just have to point at the corner somewhere. Oh, yeah. Where there's maybe hasn't been a mouse in 25 years, if ever, and yeah. he will still, he will yeah. still go it's, like he, he's going to. He just kill goes it. where it's where he's pointed to. Yeah, it's and it's he's ter- never been trained that. No, he's I've, a terrier. I've never trained him it's that. A, I've never inst- seen you training him that. No, it's instinct. He just does it completely, and you can see like his tail starts to go like really like wide wags, which normally you know, it'll move a little bit, but it does these big wide things when he's hunting. Hmm. Um, and then I know he's about to go crazy, and I won't be able to control Start him. Start to bark in your video. Barking, biting, you know. Standard things. Standard Wrigley things. Standard Wrigley things. Um, So that's Wrigley. Anyway, I did want to spend a minute doing a little bit of shameless self-promotion. Go right ahead. For We Forgot last week when we were recording the podcast, I had just announced my candidacy as Bencher in the City of Vancouver Bencher Law Society venture by election. I can't believe that we forgot about that. I blame you. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm such a distraction. Well, it was the first time I'd seen you in yeah, a yeah. month. It was a month of like, oh, I haven't seen you. I've forgotten about all the important stuff. We were sitting more distant last week, but now that you're basically immune and yeah, you've been over it for over a week, I think you know we're okay here at six feet. Yeah. I mean, instead of two meters. It's not like I'm talking moistly to you because I'm talking to a mic, so... 
Yeah, you've got that little protector thing in front of you. But yes, avoid yeah. talking moistly. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm running again. Uh, what, fourth time's a charm? Is that what they say? Well, they, they uh, other people have told me that they ran for years and years and years before mm -hmm. they became a bencher. Um, so maybe you were right to start young, but yeah. I don't know. It just seems like it's... Uh, At this rate, I'll for sure be elected by the time it, I'm a 20-year call. Exactly. <laughs> um, eventually, they'll just get tired of seeing your name there and they'll just... That's no, I, the plan. I, win, uh, win, because eventually people will just vote for me so that I go away. I'm pretty sure you're just not going to get it because you're a woman. I don't think it's about a woman because there's a pretty good gender balance. In fact, I think there are currently more female benchers than male benchers, but I think I'm not going to get it because of my age. You're a woman under the age of 50. 40. 40. Thank you. Under the age of 40. No, I'm just trying to think of the age, a group that's on the, who are benchers. Yeah. Under 40, not represented. Yeah. There's not a single bencher under 40. No. And I don't know that there's ever been, maybe it's Jane Prejudice, McLaren. just full on age prejudice. Yeah, it is, and it's Age sucks. discrimination. You look at the things that you've accomplished in your career. They yeah. should be wanting you to be. They should be begging you. Yeah. They should all be calling you up and sure. saying, Kyla. Anyway, I um, I think you'd be a fantastic bencher. I sure would like it if you get there, because it would be nice to have some. And I'm like, I'm an ideas person, and I'm a... Uh, and you get it done. I'm a doer. Like, the, we did these personality assessments at a conference we were at recently and it determined like what traits are strongest in you and mine is is literally the idea one and the get shit done come one. up with the idea and get the idea done and it's true so That's you. that is what we need at the law society because they are so slow moving look we had this COVID 19 crisis and all sorts of things that needed to happen from the law society to allow us to like remotely commission affidavits to do remote land title you know transactions all these things the law society needed to do and it took them longer than anybody else to do it you and i were in a meeting today um, with another group of lawyers and it's always hard to make a decision in those circumstances when it's an emergency thing Gee, did we discuss this last week or no. did I discuss it with somebody else? When it's an emergency thing, you make decisions. You don't worry so much about those 15 people who sort of want to, oh, well, no, we can't do it this way because of that. Um, in an emergency situation, you make those decisions. You're not relying on Robert's rules of order. Uh, and it turns out half the time that it's just fine and it's actually was the best decision you could possibly have made. Yeah. And, you know, today we were in a meeting that wasn't really crucial or urgent and you could see we had difficulty making a decision because you're trying to get people on board in the end we did because we all got fairly reasonable people there who were for you know had the ultimate goal but you you see the problem right it's always a decision making problem that they run into so just because you are a person who comes up with a good idea decides on it and will do the work doesn't mean that that necessarily will play out if you're a bencher because you're going to have to try and get a bunch of other people on board and people sink their heels in for reasons that are often not necessarily even related to the issue. Yeah, but I got skills in strong arming people. Have you ever seen me in traffic court? Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. You're very, you're the most persuasive person I've ever met. So. Um, I get it. Yeah. I get it. I'm like a terrier. I yep. don't, I don't give up. I keep barking it at it until it you're gives just in like, to me. You're just like Wrigley. You and yeah. people and their pets and their similar so, look and personality. If you are a lawyer <laughs> practicing in Vancouver, 
please vote for me in the venture election. If you're not a lawyer practicing in Vancouver and you know a lawyer practicing in Vancouver, get on the phone, pick up the horn, and uh, call your friend in Vancouver and tell them to vote for Kyla because Kyla actually comes up with ideas and actually carries them through. And they're usually pretty courageous, thoughtful, good ideas. Yeah. Sure. Long history of that. Please, just I, I would appreciate the support. Um, and if you don't vote for me, vote for someone like me. <laughs> so nobody, there's nobody like you. Anyway, uh, let's move on to some insult. driving yes. law. Driving law. So we also have neglected talking about a huge issue. And that is the Supreme Court of Canada's ruling in the dangerous driving case. Yes, um, the appeal from Judge Rideout uh, acquitting the fellow of dangerous driving causing death on Oak Street. On Oak Street. This was the guy who was going like 140 kilometers an hour trying to make the light. Judge Rideout said, I have a reasonable doubt that this was, you know, dangerous driving effectively. And uh, the Crown appealed and you know, like from a like really boring legal issue, was the the question on the Crown Appeal was whether or not they were trying to dress up an appeal from an unreasonable verdict as an appeal on a question of law, and the Crown only has the right to appeal if it's a question of law. If they think the verdict's unreasonable, like the judge got all the facts wrong and the verdict's not supported by it, sucks to be the Crown. You get your acquittal. But if they get the law wrong, the Crown gets to appeal. And so this was the big question for the court, um, which is not that interesting. <laughs> no, but then ultimately, so the Court of Appeal overturns it, um, yep. basically pretending that it's an issue of, of, law. of law. And it goes to the Supreme Court of Canada. And uh, we discussed this when we watched it, um, watched the submissions. Um, and there was a lot of pushback from uh, against both lawyers. There was a lot of and pushback. And we didn't expect that there would be so much against the Crown when they, when um, Richard Fowler went up first for on behalf of the uh, convicted fellow. Yeah. And, and we discussed this before, but what I was surprised at in the judgment, I mean, the judgment did the thing that I anticipated it was going to do, which was, you know, shoehorn it into a question of law, which you can do, right? But it always feels so intellectually dishonest to me when you have something that is so clearly people being upset because there were really bad facts and it it just sounded horrible and, you know, you kill a doctor and it's just, it's awful. All of it is awful. And then they're like, but it is a question of law because he didn't really address this one thing. I know. And it just, it felt like... Well, especially forced. after the one justice was commenting, I would have convicted this guy. I would have, I would have, yeah. of course I would have convicted this guy. I would have convicted this guy in a second. But you know, we But that's have, not the point. And yeah, yeah okay, we yeah. We have one, there was one dissent. Yeah. So, you know, I agree with the dissenting opinion. Who dissented? Who dissented? Um, Karakatsinus. Oh, okay. Karakatsinus? I don't know how to say it, but... She's a lovely, lovely person. Anyway, she was a... Very yeah. pleasant judge when we were there. Mm -hmm. and, um, and you managed to pronounce your name, I think. No, I avoided saying any of the judges' names when we were there because I was scared I would pronounce them wrong mm. and then look like an idiot. Yeah. Uh, I don't get scared about a lot of stuff, but apparently mispronouncing judges' names in court mm. is one of them. Um, I probably wouldn't be so scared next time because... You've been there. Fuck it. Yeah. 
<laughs> my name gets mispronounced all the time. I don't know. Every time I watch them there, I think, well, they're not really going that much into law. And they're not really, you know, they're just sort of talking about feelings. Well, a lot of people say it's a policy court, right? Yeah. But um, what I did find really interesting about the judgment and the the hair splitting that exercise that it ultimately ended up being was the error that the majority found in law was that the judge had made a decision that there wasn't a um, marked marked departure, but that that decision was done without an analysis of what the reasonable person would have done. And I just, to me, it it was interesting for two reasons. First of all, I don't read the original provincial court judgment that way. I think he did analyze it. And he said, look, like this is a couple seconds speeding up to make a light. And it's not consistent, in my view, with what the Supreme Court of Canada said in the past, in cases like Lacasse, that local judges take into account local circumstances. And you know that, like, you know, if you're from Newfoundland or if you're from, I don't know, Toronto or Barrie, Ontario or Regina, maybe somebody whipping down Oak Street at 140 would shock you. But, like, personal story here. This one time I went on this date with this dude. Uh, he was some type of accountant or money person. I don't know. And he had this big Porsche SUV. Um, and he picks me up at my place and we're going to Richmond for some reason. And we're going through that exact intersection, the exact same circumstances. The light turns yellow and he guns it and gets up to 140. I was watching the speedometer, gets up to 140 to make it through the light. And there was no traffic. to be alive. I know. I know. I was shocked. It was like, the as far as I was concerned, like my interest in him ended at that moment because I was like, why, why would you drive like that when there's no reason to? Um, and like, I don't want to die in a car with you. Die in a Porsche. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to die in a car. Most banal death ever. <laughs> um, you know, but it's not unusual in the local circumstances for people to be driving that fast. People in Vancouver drive fast. Well, that was the other thing I didn't like. Um, the justice from uh, Edmonton, whose name I can never remember, I think he was the one who was commenting on it. I know that intersection. I know that location. I know how they drive. Well, it's a main thoroughfare. It's a main thoroughfare. Well, no, he didn't know. He, 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 he made it, described it like it was a side street. Yeah. When it is a main thoroughfare. It's a, like, basically you're coming off a highway. Yeah. Um, you, you literally come off the highway. Yeah. So he, no, he described it like it was a little neighborhood street. I know that area. Well, you don't it's know. It's not a neighborhood because nobody lives there because yeah. it's all mansions occupied all, by people who don't live in them. Exactly. They're all vacant homes. <laughs> Hopefully they're paying the vacant home tax, but the, um, that should have been pointed out. That uh, should have been in the evidence. There is no one actually <laughs> living anywhere there. in that neighborhood. Nobody all can of those afford homes to. have been sold to wealthy Chinese investors come for two weeks. Um, the, uh, the, uh, no, I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't like that again, because it, again, the local judge who lives here doesn't mm -hmm. just, hasn't just visited here a few times, um, knows very well the intersection, knows very well the location, knows very well the way people drive in the lower mainland. And those expressions from the court caused me concern. And that's why I thought, okay, they're just going to find some way to 
make this thing uh, sound like a legal issue. And, like, maybe he has driven that intersection before, but unless you live here and you drive that intersection, like, a thousand times over the course of five years, you don't really get it. Yeah. Oak Street. It's like a racetrack sometimes. Oak and Granville. Yeah. Anyway, it does raise another interesting issue, which is now we have this confusing overlapping between the Motor Vehicle Act and the Criminal Code. And we're not supposed to have that, right? You're supposed to have your criminal law in one bucket and your Motor Vehicle Act in another bucket. But now you have, look, I think they've given up on that. I think they've given up on that. They gave up on that with the IRP scheme. The purpose of a prohibition on dangerous driving, its only purpose is to protect the public safety on the roads. There's no other reason to prohibit dangerous driving. There's no, you know, like the, theoretically, I guess you could argue that the dangerous driving provision is in pith and substance provincial law. And because of the Supreme Court of Canada's decision in Chung, confirming that the Motor Vehicle Act offense of excessive speeding is in and of itself potentially dangerous driving, you could constitutionally challenge the provision as being ultra virus the powers of parliament. Yeah, I think they would say that it all belongs on a spectrum. A spectrum. There's a but spectrum. It's not, but, they, but they blurred the lines of the spectrum. Well, of because course if they you did. Because if you took the spectrum <laughs> of course before... they did, but they'll just say, oh, but a judge, a judge can decide whether or not it's on the spectrum. This is a judge's discretion. So what? 40 kilometers an hour over, or 41 well, kilometers an hour over is is excessive speeding. And 41 to 6, or sorry, 60 and over is also excessive speeding, just at tier 2. So how far over the speed limit do you have to be going before you're into criminal law? Judge's discretion, Kyla. But the then, spectrum. But that's the blurred line. No, I know. Well, of course. Have. Of course. You of know, course. I agree with you 100%. I'm just telling you, like, like the, you the silliness the, of it. The blurred lines of, like, the IRP scheme and impaired driving... And you're like, well, it's pith and, in its pith and substance, it's road and highway safety. And besides, there's no criminal sanctions from failing an ASD. So they're not really taking from the criminal law. They're, they're not really supplementing the criminal no law. They're complementing the criminal law. But this is different. I don't know, man. I don't know. I think it is, at the very least, arguable. Well, I think it's different. I think you're right that it's not, I think it's beyond arguable, but I also think that they'll just do a little dance around it and that's it. Well, so. sure. But why not put them to the task of doing the dance around it? Because now we have, like I've said, these blurred lines and I keep like quoting Robin Thicke and I feel terrible, but like we have these blurred lines between where does the Motor Vehicle Act end and dangerous driving begin and can something be both because you can't be punished for both. Um... And if it is both, then what? It's the discretion of the officer because then you're empowering the police too much. Is it the discretion of Crown Counsel? Because then, you know, do police have to consult with Crown every time they issue an excessive speeding ticket? Like where, who makes those calls? All of this is is confusing. And I think if a person were to say some young enterprising lawyer uh, with a dangerous driving case were to launch such a challenge, they may find that they could get better clarity about the starting and end points, which would be better for the legal system as a well. whole. 
I think the court is just going to say it's prosecutorial discretion bah. once it gets to a certain level. No, and you they can't could bury they could everything in discretion. Look, they, they remember when we were presenting to I don't know the Senate or the Parliamentary Criminal Committee, and in front of us was lawyers from the Department of Justice, yeah, and they the were like, "Oh yeah, we would never approve a charge like that." I mean, you got to leave these things to prosecutorial discretion. Yeah, and I'm and sitting this, there thinking bullshit. Like I <laughs> and all all those things that they said in their presentation to the committee. Uh, at the House of Commons on C-75, ultimately ended up removed before the bill passed. So I think there's a real problem in leaving it to discretion. Also, you need to have certainty in the law in order to make decisions about compliance with the law. Okay, so you're driving along and you're thinking to yourself, it's a 60 zone, I'm going to go 125 because I... I I think I'm good because it's not quite dangerous driving. It's 130 is the dangerous driving threshold. I don't think I don't think the court's going to buy into that. Well, I don't think anybody makes that type of decision making, but you should know what you're facing once you commit the offense. You know, if you put on Led Zepp, the immigrant song, it's easy to drive those speeds in a 60 zone. Yeah, well, right now. That should be a consideration. As we've talked about, it's easy to drive those Well, speeding is up. Speeding's up, as we discussed last week. And uh, drinking driving is uh, down, but not as much as people expected. And we thought that it was all an issue of bars, but it's just, I guess, people still have places to go. I know, and the down is, the down is, is rising back up. Like the flattened drunk driving curve is... Inching back upwards. Interestingly, the um, statistics for all of this are just going to be totally skewed for years to come. Every every chart that they produce yeah. on you know the effects like, of this and every 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 stat that they come up with on the twenty five years of whatever they're all going to be looking back at. Man, twenty twenty. They're Jesus, not going to be able to. What say. happened in twenty twenty that there was like no drunk driving deaths? They're no longer going to be able to say that the IRP scheme is is saved the most lives in BC from drunk driving. Yeah. In fact, COVID nineteen did. COVID nineteen saved more lives <laughs> from drunk driving. I'm allowed to make that joke because I had it. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm laughing at your joke. Um, I don't know that you're allowed to make that joke because you had it, but it is a uh, legitimate point. I think that um, all the stats are going to be skewed, except yes. speeding is going to be apparently about the same. Maybe up. Maybe up. Know. Yeah. Anyway, it's all fascinating. I find it all very interesting. And I... Living through this weird time. Anticipate filing a constitutional challenge to the dangerous driving provision of the criminal code, because why not? Why not try? Yeah, but you can only do it if you've got somebody who's going to be convicted. Mm-hmm. You don't have many people who are going to be convicted. No, that's true. I but they are going to lay more. I mean, we saw Sergeant Christensen, is Sergeant? Yes, Sergeant Christensen of the Vancouver Police Department. Uh, I believe he gave an interview. And I think somebody I did. think he I think they already charged somebody. Yeah, they've charged all sorts of people. I've yeah. had I've had a bunch of clients since then come to me and say I've been charged with dangerous driving. Because so, they were relying on the Court of Appeal jurisprudence, and it was upheld by the Supreme Court of Canada, so now the Crown's gone, yep, charges yeah, approved. Yeah. Those senior officers who are out there who are looking at it saying, you know what? They love it. They all have been like, this is great, so much better, because I can forward charges. And, you know, maybe that's where my <laughs> desire to fight the law, what, 
What is that? I fought the law and the law won. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, unfortunately, that's what I'm predicting. Okay. okay. Um, <laughs> so let's talk about distracted driving. Okay. Because there was a recent case from the BC Supreme Court that just made me go, WTF? Like, it shows how completely absurd our distracted driving laws are in British Columbia. So this case involves Mr. Sanga. Um, he is driving along with his phone resting on his lap, which, as you'll recall, is lawful. There's a decision from, uh, from a judicial justice of the peace in, sitting in traffic court in Victoria in which he found that the, the use defining the term as hold means that you have to grasp it with your hands, not just rest it against your body. So all these years, whenever I used a car to go, I used to put my phone under my leg Yeah, and I was so worried about it now. Now I, I would have been fine. You would have been fine. I Maybe. know I drove around before with my phone under my leg until I got a car that had a cup holder that fit my phone. There you go. And I would have been fine. Um, <laughs> no, you might've been convicted. I might've been convicted, but I would have had an appeal. <laughs> there you go. Um, I fought the law and... The law won. No, I fought the law and I won. <clears throat> okay, I like go. the Sex Pistols version. Um, okay, so Mr. Sang is doing that. And as he's driving along, the phone slips from his leg, predictably, to the footwell and starts sliding towards the brake. Now, you and I have heard this story a thousand times from clients. I, my phone fell and I needed to pick it up because I was concerned that it was going to slide under the brake and... It was going to screw things up, and I would have been more dangerous. This is exactly what Mr. Sanga did. So he reaches down, he picks up his phone, and of course, the second he does that, the police officer sees him, pulls him over, tickets him, because he's holding the phone. Hold the phone? Yeah. The only reason he's holding it is because he perceived it was a danger. It was presenting him a danger um, on uh, in where it was in the vehicle, and he just wanted to move it to a safer place. Mm -hmm. But he's ticketed for that, and yet would be acquitted for merely having it on his lap, where it posed a risk. How stupid is that? So he's convicted for moving it, because he had it in his hand. Because he picked it up from <clears> the floor, <throat> yeah. and was going to put it in the cup holder, where it would have been more secure. Uh. How freaking stupid. And the law... Like, he, he is a convicted, appeals his conviction. BC Supreme Court upholds the conviction, saying, nope, he broke the law the second he picked it up. How stupid is it that you can be convicted for eliminating a potential danger, but not be convicted and not be in violation of the law for having a danger? Of course, you know, my problem is I don't believe him. I think he, he, you know... The, I, I think the prohibition is against having it in your hand is the ideal thing. And I don't believe him that he just had picked it up. Well, the court accepted so, his evidence. I know, I know. I get that. Um, but I think the uh, it, it invites too many people to say that. Sure. So I think that's the reason that the court has drawn the line there. Again, I mean, I'm, I, I struggle with the intellectual honesty of the decision sometimes when you deal with our dangerous driving decision here at the Supreme Court of Canada and the Court of Appeal. Mm -hmm. Whereas I thought it was intellectually honest at the provincial court level. And here, this is one where it feels more like a policy decision than a... 
I don't think so, because he raised two defenses. And the, there is a silver lining in this judgment. So he raises two defenses. The first is necessity. That he had to bend it's down. It's mother of invention. That he had to bend down in order to pick up the phone because it was posing a risk. And, and so he was, you know, trying to avoid potential harm. Could have kicked it away with his foot, stopped his car, pulled over to the side. Yeah, I mean, he put it in park. Failed to prove that there were no reasonable legal alternatives, like all the things you just said. Um, probably because he was self-represented. That's how I would have convicted him. <laughs> yeah, um, he also was found not to have made out the defense of necessity because he didn't establish that he was in imminent peril. It was his evidence that it was just the potential that he was concerned about, not that it was actually happening. What are the odds that it's going to actually get under the brake pedal? And you'll be pressing the brake pedal down and it will impede the brake pedal such that you can't stop. And besides, you can also just crush your damn phone under your foot. I've had, you know, beer cans slide underneath. I mean, pop cans slide under. It's been a long time. I was a teenager. <laughs> pop cans slide underneath my they, brake pedal and I press the pedal down. and Might not, you know, phones are empties. a little sturdier than an empty beer can and or pop can. Well, sometimes they're full. Sometimes, um, it, you know, it's a bottle of brandy. <laughs> you can't crush a bottle of brandy with a brake pedal. No, no. I've, uh, I learned that when I was 16. Yeah, I'll bet. Um, <laughs> thank you. You know that uh, impaired driving is an offense that can be prosecuted summarily or by indictment. Doesn't mean I was ever impaired. Yeah. Um, Not that day. <laughs> well, I used to keep it in my under my seat so I could have a little warm-up before I went into Between class in grade 11. January 1st, whatever year you turn 16. Okay, sorry. Um, you distracted me from the point, but... I wasn't drinking and driving. I just had it so I could pour myself a drink before I went to class and take it in a coffee cup. Your response there made me laugh because I heard a judicial justice scream that at somebody who was trying to raise that defense in court one day um, in response to their defense. And uh, that judicial justice also made the point that your phone is flat and so it's not gonna impede your ability to press down the brake because it's flat but if it ends up at an angle there anyway i don't believe that it's going to impede the brake no. i'd have to and the odds of it getting there and all the room in your foot well that it's just going to land sure. underneath the brake pedal come on and i don't i don't buy it i don't buy it sure but there is a hypothetical circumstance <coughs> in which Possibly that necessity defense could be raised. It would just be like all the stars would have to align in the worst way possible. I tried to break. I pushed my foot down and hit my phone. I was about to rear end that minivan filled with... with Nuns. Oh, no, I was going to say... Um, Puppy nuns. Autistic children who are, are superior piano and cello players. And puppies. And they all had their hands hanging out the window and they would have been crushed their fingers or something. <laughs> and puppies. There's always puppies. Then I reached down. <laughs> yeah. But <clears throat> the other defense that Mr. Sanger raised, and this was what actually really interested me, he raised the defense of due diligence, which, like, obviously doesn't apply on any of the facts. But the Crown didn't take the position, and I found this to be a very strategic omission on their part, they didn't take the position that the defense of due diligence isn't available to somebody for a distracted driving offense because... They didn't it. want a ruling on that. Yeah, but instead they said he just hadn't proved the elements of due diligence. But by taking that position, 
It invited the court to do an analysis of what the elements of due diligence were and whether they applied, implicitly accepting that due diligence is an available defense and making the offense one where you could theoretically argue that you took reasonable steps to educate yourself and got some type of, you know, misinformation that you reasonably relied on and thought that you were complying with the law. Okay, so it does create a new defense. It does create a new defense, but I don't think in the way that nobody was thinking. Yeah, well, and it's going to be uh, extremely infrequent that you would ever see that, and good luck making it out. How often do you hear people that call and say, well, a police officer told me this, this, and this, and so I thought well, I was true. allowed to. That's true, but usually they tell them the opposite. They tell them a bunch of things that they're not allowed to, you know, that, that are telling them that they're, they are a bunch of things that are prohibited that are not. And if due diligence is an available defense, then so too is officially induced error. I think that was already a defense. Nope. Well, it is now. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Fascinating. So that I find to be like... Really? Because I argued that with a police officer in the hallway and I I'm persuaded sure him to drop it. Yeah. Well, he was probably afraid that you'd get a ruling in your favor. I don't think he knew what I was saying. Well, also, he wouldn't be able to argue against you, and you had lots of law talky words, like hearsay and jurisprudence. <laughs> well, apparently I didn't know what I was saying either, so. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You believed in what you were saying. You had the conviction to avoid the conviction for your client. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Uh, I think that was something that G. Jack Harris probably had a lot of sometimes. I think. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, well, the bluff is... A tactic. I have this legal argument that's really strong. You sounded like G. Jack Harris there. No, oh, I've no, maybe I you were channeling him. Oh, maybe I am. <clears throat> Spooky. <laughs> your your, your near-death experience has allowed you now to channel G. Jack Harris. Well, we're on the topic. Who was a neat lawyer and yeah. uh, passed away a few years ago. Well, we're on the topic of distracted driving. I wanted to bring you to our. Ridiculous Driver of the Week! The Ridiculous Driver of the Week! Yay, Ridiculous Driver of the Week! Uh, you don't sound so excited. I am excited about it. Look, I'm actually really enjoying the podcast today. It's been, uh, you know, it's been, it's been a while. It's like it's the been... most social interaction I've had. Well, that's the thing. Like, I'd seeing another human other than my yeah. my kids and my my spouse. Other than like our Zoom meetings, well, I don't see anybody. Well, I did go into the I office. I see the mailman, and I saw some people from a distance. Well, there you go. Um, it was nice to see the people in the office. I miss everybody in the office. Did I ever tell you the story about? I know I've told you the story, but I'm I'm setting it up to tell you the story on the podcast. Go ahead. Um, about my brother's friend who had. Uh, who was prosecuted for, like, neglecting his goat. He had the three-legged goat, and his neighbor saw the goat, and the goat was, like, looking frail and unfed. And it was just, like, a free-range goat that could you come You haven't and go. told me this. I haven't told you this? Okay. So we had this goat, and it was all, like, starved and sick. And he didn't know, because he has this field full of goats. And he gives them food, he gives them water, they come, they take it. You know, it's just kind of like a free-range goat But the tripod situation. goat had some problems. But the tripod goat had some sort of problem. And the neighbor kept seeing the goat across the fence and going, gosh, that goat looks sick. So she goes, 
in the cover of darkness and steals the three-legged goat and takes it to a vet. Wow. And the vet, like, checks out the goat, realizes the goat is really, really sick, can't be saved, puts the goat down, and then the guy's charged with, like, failing to provide, like, the necessities to, to his goat. To a three-legged goat. To his three-legged goat. And What was it, wrong with the goat? I don't know, a bunch of diseases and parasites and shit. Okay. Like, Things that were treatable. Go, not, they were so advanced, they were no longer treatable. But they would have normally been treatable. Would have so been it's not treatable, like cancer, yeah. goat no, cancer. No, Okay. So he's got this goat and his, <laughs> my brother's telling so me this what story. What you're telling me is you have a source of goats. Yes. Okay. Um, my brother's telling me this story and he says, yeah, do you, do you want to know what defense he's running at trial? I said, sure. Said, well, you know, he's not sure. Uh, whether or not they can prove that that's the goat that came from his yard. So he figures he's going to take the stand and he's going to say, that's not my goat. My goat got stolen. (laughs) (laughs) Uh... Brilliant. Anyway, our ridiculous driver of the week ran the, that's not my goat, my goat got stolen equivalent defense in a distracted driving case. That's funny because we actually talked about uh, you using the you using the that's not my goat yeah. defense, but slightly different, but not completely not relative to this story. No, in a completely different capacity. Yeah, I was going to get a goat, and then I was going to register it with the city as a dog. And when they came to ticket me for having a pet goat, I'd be like, "This is a dog," and I got the paperwork to prove it. Yeah, <laughs> what's the same goat? <laughs> If you had a dog that looked like that, you'd call it goat too. We call him goat. (laughs) Okay. But he's a dog. Look, the city's called him a dog. So this individual, and this case is so ridiculous for so many reasons, but this individual, Mr. Tiara, um, is charged with a distracted driving offense. He's seen by an officer. Actually, I know this officer, very nice, Constable Barker. Um, Seen by Constable Barker uh, using a uh, GPS, a lit GPS in his vehicle and touching it. It's being held in his hand, according to her. He says, when it comes to trial, she didn't see me holding that GPS. That was not the GPS I was holding. This was the GPS I was holding. And then gives this convoluted story of how he came to be holding it, but still that it was activated and on and sitting there and therefore in violation of the rule requiring it to be mounted. We have that fairly often where people say, but they didn't see me. <laughs> yeah, I was doing it, but they didn't see me. They yeah. were, she didn't see me. She wasn't there until, <laughs> or, yeah. or that wasn't the device I was holding. I was holding another device. <laughs> yeah. That's not she my says, job. I had my iPhone. I didn't. I had my Blackberry. <laughs> so the, the goat, uh, the goat defense in traffic court, which did not go well. No. Understandably, he was convicted because the the JGP is like, first of all, I don't believe you. I believe the officer. So Done. sorry. But yeah. secondly, even if I did believe you, Which by I your don't. own evidence, you're guilty of using an electronic device because you had a GPS that was running that wasn't mounted. Period. You're guilty. Either way, whoever I believe. Um, and he appeals. He appealed it. He appeals. He appealed it. He appeals this. Not only does he appeal this, but for whatever reason, he hires a lawyer to appeal this. And the appeal judgment, which you can find Rajana and, and Tiara, and it's uh, 2020 BCSC 482, is worth reading because it's hilarious. Um, it gets 
way more ridiculous. Like, there's grounds of appeal that are raised about, like, interference in cross-examination. And and the lawyers, like, asked in argument, like, explain where this interference is, like, pointed out in the transcript. And he's like, well, um, she wouldn't let him ask about the police complaint and, and... I saw it. Like, I did. She ruled that that was irrelevant. Where I, else is it? I did read there those parts of this decision. There were all these things in the appeal decision. that weren't even connected to the evidence. I, I did. I started reading it on my phone and I just couldn't see it clearly enough, but I could, you know, it was starting to hurt my eyes. So I stopped, but it also pained me because yeah. the, the lawyer had put forth a number of arguments that the lawyer could not have substantiated nope. on the basis of the transcript at all. Yeah. So, that happens. I mean, you know. You got to run your appeal. The judge was nice enough about it. The judge wasn't cruel. He wasn't as cruel as he could have been. Yeah. Sometimes they're needlessly cruel, but the judge was not cruel. Yeah. But anyway, I just... It's not my goat. It's... Yeah. The the defense itself makes him the ridiculous driver of the week, but the judgment is worth reading if you want to know just generally what not to do ever in any traffic court case, like start to finish the whole thing is just a beautiful train wreck. If you really have an argument, just hire somebody who knows what they're doing and run the argument. Yeah. And if he had come to me and said, can you appeal this? I would have said no. No, but I mean, he should have, it's not, not the, the appeal. If he had hired us in the first place, we might've been able to do something for him. Constable Barker is actually very nice. So. Surprisingly reasonable and might've been open to some sort of plea. Yeah, probably could have sorted it out with her, but instead, that's not my goat. My goat got stolen. (laughs) (laughs) The line will stay with me forever. Anyway, I thought I would end off the podcast. We started by forcing you to talk about my venture election campaign, but I'm going to end with a little musical interlude. The latest by the Accutones, the COVID-19 Blues. That's my song. That's your song, yes. Next song is going to be That's Not My Goat. (laughs) (laughs) so uh if you are interested in reaching us to talk about a goat or a phone or dangerous driving constitutional challenge give us a call 604-685-8889 we are still answering the phones even in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic and you can find us online at vancouvercriminallaw.com and now tune in and hang on come back next week because we got a hankering to spend a little time with you Just last week we were together, all this changed real fast. Who knew this was a coming? I hope our love will last. They deferred my jail sentence, this ain't freedom, that is true. Isolation's what I meant, I've got the COVID-19 blues. I've got a hankering to spend a little time with you. Being so far apart, well it's making me so blue. Staying alone is required, know that surely true. Isolation's what I'm in, I got the COVID-19 blues. Got lots of toilet paper, but rare trips to the loo. All this hoarding was just wrong, what nervous people do. Seeing the world out my window, the right thing to do. Isolation's what I'm in, I got the COVID-19 blues. We should have thought ahead, 
First China, then Iran. This is my first pandemic. I'm doing all I can. I wash my hands with soap, water, sanitizer too. I douse myself in vodka just to spend some time with you. About our life together, wanna be a better man. I've had lots of time for thinking since my quarantine began. Still have my jail sentence, gonna serve it yet. Boohoo, isolation's what I'm in. I've got the COVID-19 blues. I got a hankering to spend a little time with you. Getting so far apart, well, it's making me so blue. Staying alone is required. Know that's surely true. Isolation's what I'm in. I got the COVID-19 blues. Isolation's what I'm in. I got the COVID-19 blues. Isolation's what I'm in. I got the COVID-19 blues.